Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. <laughs> in this episode, we'll be asking who joined the speculative Masons? So having established in previous podcasts the difference between operative and speculative Masonry, it now begs to answer, who joined the speculative Masons? As has been discussed, this was no working man's or labour club, despite being held in a tavern. For a deeper dive on the subject, I pass over to you, Brother Earnshaw. Thank you. Yes. So we get an interesting insight to the early days of the Grand Lodge uh, from uh, a Dr. William Stukeley. He was an antiquarian and an Anglis Anglican priest. And he wrote in 1720, oh, let's go back on that. Uh, he'd previously been made a, a fellow of the Royal Society and was a friend of Isaac Newton's. And he said in 1721, so that's four years after the founding of the Premier Grand Lodge, uh, he said his curiosity led him to be initiated into the mysteries of masonry, suspecting it to be the remains of the mystery of the ancients. But when he was actually initiated, he added, I was the first person made a Mason, Freemason for many years, we had great difficulty to find members enough to perform the ceremony. So it shows that in the early days, um, the ceremony, the ritual had been down, handed down orally from brother to brother, and many people had forgotten it. Yes, I, I find that, that statement very interesting for three reasons. Firstly, that Stuckley had suspected the mysteries of masonry to be the remains of the mystery of the ancients. And secondly, that he indicates that the initiation ritual existed within the operative lodges for speculative masonry, i.e. that it wasn't created for the speculative lodges and that it was transferred orally. And thirdly, I'm intrigued that so many of the names on the rosters of the early lodges had so many links to the Royal Society. Um, a, a quick look at the biography at Dr. Stukeley is indicative of the sort of person that was joining the speculative lodges at that time. And I'd urge the listeners to research Dr. Stukeley and also his bibliography. It's of interest to Masons, I believe. Yes, um, I think what happened was that the first three Grand Masters were uh, really canny in inviting uh, the Duke of Montague to be the first uh, aristocratic Grandmaster in 1721 mm -hmm. by inviting uh, one of the nobility to to head up the organization suddenly it became prominent and it leapt to fame and success in in one bound so to speak um, at, as we mentioned previously there were four uh, lodges which started the premier Grand Lodge but it's only the rummer and grapes uh, that is important because I believe they use that as a, as a kind of base to transform the ritual, to rewrite it. Um, the membership of the other three lodges was about 15 brethren. And um, uh, Gould says that none of them were um, of the rank of, uh, of a squire or above the rank of a squire. However, the rum and grapes had a role of over 70 members. And um, besides uh, 
uh, George Payne, James Anderson, and John de Sagulia, there were a number of influential noblemen as members. Hmm. Yes, that's interesting. The rank of Esquire, it's, it's not something that's really brought up. Uh, would you elaborate for the readers, uh, the listeners in America on the subject, please? Yeah, so, so in America, we often see Esquire used after the name of a lawyer. And sometimes even female lawyers use the title of Esquire. To, uh, to a Brit, that's really very strange. Um, so how it goes is that a knight uh, is a title that is given by the monarch for people who have um, done something special in society. That means they've been a chairman of a multinational corporation or like Sir Elton John, uh, for his contribution okay. to the arts. Um, originally, of course, it was a military title, and um, the esquire was somebody who served the knight. So he was um, the um, the knight was superior to the esquire. The esquire was somebody who helped him out, and later it became a, a title used as a kind of, of ranking for the gentry i.e. all those people who are not aristocrats. So this is something we have to kind of, people who are not familiar with our archaic feudal system in England. Um, basically, aristocracy are the people who have the money. They have the land. They don't always have titles. So if you draw a circle like a donut and put another circle inside, the nobility are the ones who have all the titles in the center. And not they don't always have money. You have a lot of impoverished nobles in England and they have great titles. Um, but it's the aristocracy have the money and not always the titles. Um, aristocracy is, the crassy is the same as democracy or theocracy. It means, it's Greek for the word to rule. And aristo means excellent. So they're meant to be excellent rulers, but uh, I think the jury's out on that one if you read the tabloids. <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> exactly. No comment. Um, just a quick aside here. Uh, there's a way, of a mnemonic, to, learn, to remember how the uh, nobility stack up. And it's called, it's, the mnemonic is, do Masons ever visit Boston? And that stands for Duke, Marquis, uh, Earl, Viscount, and Baron. <clears throat> Do Masons ever visit Boston? And of course, the answer is yes, if you're in the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts. Anyway, that's a, a Masonic joke. So, um, so to look at the membership of the Horn Lodge, um, <clears throat> we have a lot of uh, famous people. Actually, I think... <laughs> um, we might want to stop it here yes. as we're at seven minutes. <laughs> sure. Well, that brings this episode to a close. If you have any questions, please email on the link below. We now part on the square and we will meet soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.